welcome to another brand new episode of T Watches the Scary Movie. My name is T, and of course, we're talking scary movies. I appreciate y'all tuning in for another brand new episode. Remember, new episodes go up every Wednesday night, 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. You can catch the audio-only version on Podbean and our video-only versions. I say video-only. I guess I'd say our with video versions are going to be coming in through YouTube. So if you go to YouTube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie, Again, youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. You can get subscribed to the video version of the show. Make sure to subscribe to the video version, or excuse me, the audio version of the show on Podbean. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. My screen name is Axdew. That's A-X-D-E-W. And as y'all have seen recently, I've started uh, posting a little bit more on Instagram. I hate Instagram with a fiery, fiery passion, but I do understand the good that it does and how it definitely helps people find things a little bit easier. So uh, I am on Instagram. You can find me at Theron underscore Reynolds. Find me on there. You can see all the fun little thirst traps I've been posting on there lately. Uh, it's been nice. Yeah, I've been wearing wearing my Christmas sweaters, which as y'all can see, I'm in another one today. Uh, this is my classic Jason Voorhees sweater. Let me show this off to y'all here. You can see that. Yeah. Got the hockey mask. Everything looks great. Looks great. Um, but uh, I've been wearing all my Christmas sweaters lately. And I've been showing those off. Got a couple more coming in. Was hoping I was to have a certain one for tonight, uh, for tonight's episode, but didn't make it in time. So we go with the classic. We go with the Voorhees Xmas, and uh, we're having fun with that. So, what do we have to talk about this week? Well, Chucky is done. Uh, we got through the season finale. We did get announced that season two is coming next year. We're all going to assume it's going to be another October start. Uh, that's likely where it makes the most sense concerning how many episodes they'll do and all that as well, too. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. But we also get our first glimpses at the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie this week. Uh, coming out produced by uh, Fede Alvarez. It's coming out in February to Netflix. Yes, this one is direct-to-streaming. Um, there is not going to be a theatrical release. If there is going to be a very, very small one. I actually wouldn't be shocked to see this get like uh, end up in a few theaters here and there. Just because it's kind of a higher-profile release. Uh, but then again, I don't know if Leatherface actually got... A theatrical release I think that one was definitely straight to video which is it's kind of weird to think that a lot of these franchises now are hard straight to theater releases you know uh or straight to straight to video or straight to streaming or whatever because i mean the chucky franchise you know colt and curse were both straight to dvd straight to blu-ray whatever you want to call it now we have the tv show um hellraiser has been on home video for the longest time i think the third movie was the last one to be in theaters. Uh, Puppet Master is a is an example of a franchise that's been mostly on disc there. Um, Freddy and Jason are kind of the big two. Uh, Freddy, Jason, and Michael, I guess, would be the big two that have not had uh, had to deal with just a straight to video uh, video release strategy. And in some aspects, that's good. In some aspects, that's bad. But we'll see what with this new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Horror can have a much better life on streaming and on video. Um, that's one of the reasons why it's always been so profitable over the last 30 to 40 years. People just crank sequels out to things is because you don't have to make a lot of money 
uh, in the horror realm a lot of the time. So this could be a very good thing for it. Uh, we'll see. Uh, it's interesting because um, uh, the new movie is following the more recent trend we've been seeing to where it's a direct sequel to the original film. Um, and, you know, we can't really like it, it, we can't really go against that because in some aspects that's worked very well a la Halloween. So this could be a good thing for it. But Leatherface does have the most convoluted timeline of any of the other characters, I believe. He has the most timelines out there, um, which makes more sense. I feel people can make more sense of it now when they actually start to think of, like, in the MCU and everything, what they're doing with the multiverse. Same idea with all these horror timelines out there and shit. Because, like, in Text Chainsaw Massacre, you have the first movie and the second movie. Then you have the first movie and the third movie. Then you have the first movie and the fourth movie. Then you have the Jessica Biel movie and then the prequel to the Jessica Biel movie. Then you have Texas Chainsaw 3D and the first movie and the second movie. Then Texas Chainsaw 3D, the first movie and the third movie. Then Texas Chainsaw 3D, the first movie and the fourth movie. You gotta like, you have so many other like timelines out there with this. So this is just gonna be another one on there. And you know, who cares at this point? Uh, the Text Chainsaw Massacre series, it's not known for being particularly highbrow or particularly, like, riveting or anything like that. Like, you know what you're coming in for. Leatherface is interesting, but it's always been more so about the family that, that surrounded Leatherface in all these films. That's really what's more interesting about them. Even um, uh, Next Generation, the Matthew McConaughey one, as bad of a film as that is, people like that one a lot just because, again, Matthew McConaughey is crazy as shit in that film and part of Leatherface's family. And... The thing that I think a lot of people are worried about right now with the upcoming Netflix release is that we haven't really seen or heard anything about the family that's going to be surrounding Leatherface this time. It does seem like they're going for just a Leatherface kind of vibe, which we haven't seen. We don't know if that'll necessarily work. I think Texas Chainsaw 3D was probably the closest we got to seeing a film to where it's just about Leatherface himself. And spoilers, Leatherface wasn't even really the bad guy of that film, honestly. It was the town sheriff and his son. Um, so it's not that Leatherface by himself can't work, but you gotta be telling a very, very specific, uh, story behind it. And they've already said that, uh, they're bringing back Sally, uh, Hardestry from the original film. Leatherface is only survivor from the original film, you know, jumps in the back of the car, just screaming like crazy. Uh, they said she's coming back. Obviously Marilyn Burns, I believe passed away. Um, so it's not her. It's, uh, one of the actresses from the really recent, um, uh, Maggie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The recent Ma uh, Mandy. Mandy. I want to say Maggie. Mandy. Mandy. Nick Cage film. Uh, who will be taking over the role. So the thing is, is that I feel they're bringing back that character. Leatherface has to be the bad guy. This is not going to be one of the times to where we're focusing on kind of the good good parts of him. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. It's a, it's a very, very interesting concept to think of because it's just not the norm of what we see, what we usually, uh, usually come to expect with that character and the stories that he's involved in as well, too. It's just very, very interesting. And something even more interesting that hits, hits on the head here is, um, I was having a bit of a conversation with, um, uh, Kristen Lopez, one of the editors for, uh, IndieWire talking about the problematic history of 
the horror genre back in like the 60s and the 70s because a lot of the killers that were portrayed back in those days were uh, uh, were disabled some way. You know, they were uh, mentally challenged in some way and how that was a, a big trope, a big trope with a lot of horror films back in the day. And Leatherface was kind of uh, kind of one of the bigger poster childs for all of that just because um, – you know, obviously he has a physical deformity, but he has a mental, mental uh, issue as well, too. And all of these films, or most of these Tex Chainsaw Massacre films, with the exception of maybe the original one, uh, kind of make it seem like the family is preying on Leatherface, that this family wouldn't be able to do the things they're doing without him. And even though they're depraved and they're murderers and they're crazy, they can do a lot of things, but there's way much more you can do when you have a, a monster of that size and that power near you. So very interesting conversation because uh, I think it's one of the reasons why maybe Leatherface has been always portrayed as sympathetic and as heroic in some of the entries as well too, because he's not the one really making these decisions. And even more interesting to think that all these other characters in the Tex Chainsaw Massacre movie are usually portrayed as cannibals and Leatherface is kind of the only one who's not. You know, you never see Leatherface eating anybody. You never see Leatherface licking blood or anything like that. And I could be forgetting about a couple of quick scenes in the Jessica Biel remake and the prequel to that. But as far as I remember, that was nothing that was ever featured. So just something very interesting about that character and just horror in gen uh, general back in those days. Um, so yeah, uh, that's coming on February. So our first look at that, that's going to be super cool. That's going to be super, super cool. Honestly, I'm excited to do a Netflix premiere with y'all. Um, Netflix hit it out of the park the last couple of years with a lot of the horror that they brought out and getting a big name like Tex Chainsaw Massacre in their library is nothing but good. Nothing but good for them to have. So there's that. All right. Uh, Dexter. So we did have a new episode of Dexter New Blood. Now, if you recall um, where we were left off in our uh, in our previous episode, you know by now um, Dexter and Harrison are uh, have definitely been at odds. Uh, Harrison stopped the school shooter who you know were led to believe that it was really it was really it really Harrison who was kind of behind everything uh, everything that kind of went down basically. But um, we uh, we're, we're seeing Dexter and his son at odds a lot more. And uh, we left it off to where Dexter found a straight razor in Harrison's things. Now, that straight razor was important for a number of different reasons. Um, throughout this season, uh, throughout New Blood, the Trinity Killer has kind of like loomed over all of it just because... Uh, that's a big part of who Harrison is because, you know, Rita's not around because the Trinity kill killer murdered Rita and uh, a straight razor was the Trinity killer's weapon of choice when he would murder a number of his victims. And, um, you know, we were left off with Dexter seeing this and Dexter hasn't really put those kind of connections together. We haven't seen that put together yet as well, too, which I find is interesting because, you know, we as the audience can definitely put those together. Trinity killer, straight razor, why Harrison might have something like that. But we don't know it necessarily just yet if Dexter's picking all of that up. So this episode here uh, was really a lot about Dexter trying to get Harrison, uh, get Harrison some help and trying to find some common ground with them. And it causes Harrison to lash out even more. He ODs at a party. And Dexter, who at this point 
is definitely falling back into his old habits, not just the isolated incident of, you know, the town asshole. Uh, Dexter goes to try to kill the drug dealer that would have supplied the party that Harrison was at, that he OD'd at now. And we found some interesting dynamics in this episode as uh, one of one of uh, uh, Sheriff Audrey's deputies, uh, Logan, you know, has been getting more and more involved with everything that's going around in the town. He's the uh, the school wrestling coach, which Harrison definitely joined. Um, uh, uh, Harrison joined the wrestling team and everything. But um, Logan's been more protective of Harrison and these boys and everything that's going on. And he's already had a bit of a reason to kind of have eyes on Dexter after Matt went missing due to some of the things with like the gun sales and like Dexter being in the area of where Matt was killed and everything, but he backed off, but Dexter being involved again, you know, we can't ignore the fact that Logan may have a strong idea or starting to build a case against Dexter and what he might have, uh, what he might be expecting out of him. Um, and the reason why Logan was a little bit more involved in things this week was because his boss, Audrey, went to New York City uh, with, uh, uh, excuse me, with uh, the, the podcaster, which I forget her name. Um, uh, and it's it's Angela, not Audrey. Um, Molly, Molly, uh, played by uh, Real World's Jamie Chung. They go to New York City to go to a conference together to follow up on Matt's disappearance, but also for uh, uh, for Angela to attend this police conference that's going on. And it's at this conference where we get another connection to the original Dexter series. Now, I don't want to jump out and spoil this here. You're going to find out soon enough. Honestly, it's all over social media there right now. What I will say is that I talked about this a few weeks ago at the beginning of the season that when introducing Harrison, Harrison's already a very, very big connection to the original series. And it's already enough that he's kind of intertwining himself and everything that's going on with Dexter and complicating that. I didn't really want to see a lot more of Miami show up uh, because one, I didn't know how natural it could be. And then number two, there was no need for it. We didn't need the connection to Miami. A lot of people have said it. We don't want Dexter going back. I'm with that majority. I don't ever Dexter ever going back to Miami. Let's keep him out of that. We had enough of that. And bringing this character back, which is very much the embodiment of Miami itself. Um, and you, you'll, you'd understand what I mean if you watch the original show throughout it, just how much this character was synonymous with everything about Miami, you know? Um, and I didn't need this character to come back, honestly. I, I really didn't. It was nice to see them. Um, and their involvement in the story was minute enough to where we don't have to worry about that character popping back up uh, popping back up next week or the week after or something like that. We are left with an idea that there is a possibility, maybe like a phone call or something like that could happen later in the season because there still are, if, I, if I'm correct, five episodes left here. So there is a possibility, maybe like episode nine or 10, a phone conversation could happen. Um, but I didn't need that character to be involved, but that character did though open the doors up to Dexter's world starting to crumble again. And it's interesting because Dexter's in a position that he's been in before, uh, kind of with Rita to where part of a secret is out, but not the full secret, not the you're destroyed, you're caught, you're fucked kind of secret. Cause if you remember, um, 
an attempt to cover up his murderer, murderous ways, Dexter had to basically tell Rita he was an addict as a way to cover his murders and framing of Rita's ex-husband, Paul, and all that back in the original series. That's something Dexter had to do. So, you know, he was living as being an addict and using that as an addict for killing, not drugs or whatever there. That led to Lila and so on and so on. And in this series, so far, what we're getting is that Dexter's identity is going to be found out, but it doesn't seem that Dexter was ever connected to the Bay Harbor butcher at the end of things. Um, you know, at the end of the original series, when, uh, when Deb died and Dexter kind of sailed off and then showed up, you know, in Seattle and everything or Washington, whatever it was. Um, yeah, we were assuming he was not living as Dexter, but the thing was that nobody had any reason to expect or suspect that Dexter, there was anything wrong with him. So it's interesting to think that that secret can come out and it doesn't actually come with the repercussions that you might think that it's supposed to come with. Uh, and I'll leave it at that. Dexter was really, really good this week. Um, we also got a bit of confirmation about who Clancy Brown is, but I still feel we're still only getting half of the story there um, because now I feel like the red herring of the mayor is now too much of a red herring and that there might be two killers. So I don't know. I don't know. But um, they played with our heads a little bit about that. I, I feel if you show it just too blunt like that, Something has to be up, but I guess that's what they did with the Trinity killer and John, uh, John Lithgow as well. We didn't have to wait too long to confirmation that he was it. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, but that's Dexter, uh, Krumpus, the naughty cut. So I have been amped for this one here. Uh, y'all know, I absolutely love the story of Krumpus. Um, I knew somewhat about the, the story of this monster, um, uh, before before this movie came out in 2015 if you remember mike doherty who made uh trick-or-treat uh for us another fabulous fam fabulous uh holiday classic there uh came out with this one and caught a lot of people by surprise because a lot of christmas horror doesn't really capture the feel of christmas and if you watch a lot of my reviews from this time last year where i go through a lot of uh, christmas horror films like silent night deadly night the various incarnations of black christmas things like that i talk a lot about it and about how i feel christmas really has to play a big part in that film and it does just because uh, it can still be an enjoyable film it, it can still absolutely be an enjoyable film and not really being focused on christmas it's just i feel when you can get that balance together to where it can be scary and it can be christmas can be as important to the story that's where it really works out so well and krumpus did that to where i shit you not i tell people it's the first holiday film i do every every holiday season and it's true it's the first one i do every season but when i saw it in theaters it was interesting because it was a PG-13 film and Mike Doherty, uh, you know, it's not like he's like this crass rated R filmmaker or anything like that, but trick or treat was brilliant. Trick or treat was an absolutely brilliant film. And so I myself even wondered if there was another version of it, just because especially with some of the actors involved and everything too, I feel there at least would have been some more F bombs flying around, maybe a little bit more blood. Cause it's a very clean movie. Like, they work that PG-13 rating in Krumpus to where, you know, you could have a lot of kids watch this film. And that's kind of the fun of it is that it's accessible to everybody because it is PG-13. It's kind of like the days of Gremlins, you know, to where that's a movie you could show everybody. And there's still a, a very smart lesson to be learned. 
So when Scream Factory of Shout Factory fame announced that they were releasing an R-rated version of this film, uh, a lot of people, including myself, were super excited for it because, all right, cool, we're going to get back everything that we lost. Now, some of that excitement wore off when we found out the runtime was only about five to six minutes longer than what the original version would be. And then that excitement went down even more when we found out that all it really was was, yes, one more F-bomb added to the film. Yes, a little bit more blood, but that's about it. Now, I'm not going to do a traditional review in the sense of things because I did talk about Crumpus last year, so there's not really a point in me doing another review of that. You could check out, again, my last year's review of it. I will link it uh, here in the chat. Or in the chat, link it here at the very end for y'all to catch that one. Um, but I love this movie. I think it's been uh, phenomenal. I think it tells a very, very very wise and relevant tale about uh, the way that we look at the holidays and appreciating what we have and finding a way just to, you know, make peace and come together and enjoy the spirit of the season rather than focus on all the negative things that just don't ultimately matter and how we can pay the price for that when we focus on those things too much. Uh, you know, not in the way of a giant monster from hell emerging to take us all back to hell with him but uh we could still there are still lessons to be learned and horror to be seen and it was it's a fantastic film that is still held up i love it um it's one that it's it's about christmas the literally the point of this story is that our main character max loses the spirit of christmas and loses hope and everything and unfortunately that summons Krumpus who comes to punish him and his family and make them realize what the importance of the season is. And it's such an important story because this is a real, a real fairy tale that is told to German families, which gives it some history and some bit of truth to it there. Um, it's a phenomenal tale. The monster design is absolutely incredible in it as well, too. Everything about this is so, so good. It's a, it's a fantastic movie. And I'm not going to be harsh on the naughty cut. The reason why is very simple. If you don't already own this film, this is the version you need to buy. Because, number one, it's in 4K. Y'all know me. I am a big, big visual nut. I have an 80-inch, might be 85-inch TV in my living room that I bought this time last year because I wanted uh, all the best and the brightest and the shininess when it comes to video out there. Um, I, you know, I'm a big 4K nut. So getting this on 4K, already a big win right there because I already own the previous Blu-ray, which is packed full of things. And all those special features come back, the alternate ending, uh, the deleted scenes, which interestingly enough, I don't know if I would have inserted those deleted scenes back in. They don't really add much. And they really would have taken away from this being like, you know, director's cut. Because one thing that people kind of toss around when they say director's cut is that, it's not really the director who did that. The director usually puts out in theaters the film that they want most of the time, you know? Um, and so uh, this naughty cut, not that different from what we've seen, but it looks absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. One big uh, insert that was put back in is a connection to Trick or Treat, actually. Um, it's, it's small, but it's big when you consider Trick or Treat. So it's a very small, it's not really relevant to the story in the least bit, but there is a connection to Trick or Treat in, the, in this naughty cut. Um, folks, there's nothing else I could say about it. I want you to look at my old review if you really want to hear my thoughts on the movie itself. I do recommend it. Maybe wait for the price to drop down a little bit. I believe I pre-ordered it for $36.99, and I think this is about a good at a $25 price, honestly. 
because again it is the 4k version of it with all the previous extras and a good chunk of new ones as well too and it is in 4k um but check it out we're watching it tonight together in the watch party we also got a bunch of our tv shows coming uh tonight in the watch party as well too um we got some great stuff guys this uh december December is going by quick. I am actually very shocked about how fast this month has been moving through here. And soon it's going to be Christmas before we know it. But make sure you're back next week because next week we're going to be watching uh, Antlers and The Empty Man. Okay, I'm going to be talking. Both of those two new horror movies came out this year. We're going to be uh, uh, watching those in the watch party together, right? So Antlers and The Empty Man is next week on the 15th. And then uh, the week of Christmas. December 22nd, we are going to be watching and talking Pitch Black and Riddick. Yes, we are spending the holidays with family. And uh, we're going to do some Vin Diesel on December 22nd. Y'all, please make sure, again, that you've subscribed here to the YouTube page. Like, comment, and share. Good or bad, I want to know what y'all are thinking, what you want me to watch, what you want me to do on the show. We're going to be playing some games coming up here soon. I got the thing, uh, Infection at Outpost 31. I got my uh, my Nightmare on Elm Street games. We're going to play a couple of those on the show here soon. Um, but like, comment, share, subscribe. Uh, get to the Discord, get to the Facebook page, join us on our watch parties, folks. My name is T. We've been talking scary movies. Stay scared.